if there are reasonable expectations along the way, they're giving you plenty of buffer time, you can do it, and you're kind of being just a butt, or you're saying it's not a priority, blah, 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 like, reflect that you might be the problem. You're the butt. Thank you, appreciate that. <laughs>
you're going a bit slower, but in the end, you're not going to end up with a situation that takes time to correct. So let's say you ship something that just was really not the right move and you did it untested and your audience does not respond well to it and you have no backup plan in place to pull it back should it fail. Right. You're going to spend a lot of time correcting that implementation that should have been tested. It's funny because you might not even know it's not working. Yeah. You could be in a market uptick, but if you've rolled out something that's actively harming your site, you're ultimately harming yourself. And you think, oh, it's not a big deal. You just don't know. Experimentation is about uncovering the unknown as best as you can. And that's where it is okay to be just a little bit slower and incorporate the process of experimentation. Yes. While I might get all the hate for saying experimentation is slow, the point isn't just about being slow. It's about knowing what to focus on and building the proper things so that you know you're building something that's good and you could validate that and you have confidence and you're mitigating risk. You're not just shooting blinds. And we're not saying test everything because that would be really slow. And no one has unlimited resources. And no one has so. unlimited resources. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, I think that there's a lot to say about this topic that people aren't really saying enough. I want to akin this to building IKEA furniture. Have you built IKEA furniture before? Yeah, all the time. I love it. I just built a TV stand and it already has cat snot all over it. Okay, well, that's not <laughs> what I wanted to think about today. IKEA furniture is interesting because, just sidebar, like IKEA furniture gets a lot of hate for not being high quality. It's good stuff. The problem is it just takes forever to interpret the like one dimensional instructions, random notches appear. Like it's so hard to just read the instructions. Would you rather go for building a TV stand in 30 minutes? And then you're like, shit, this one component is backwards and the front's the back and the back's the front. Or would you rather take the time every step, double check the picture, make sure it's correct? Because now, like you said, unfucking up the thing that you fucked up takes triple the time. Yeah, you have to take it apart to fix it. You have to take it apart. And even then, sometimes you're like, I know this is the right way and the screw's not like tightening properly. Yeah. So you're like, all right, well, I know this is right. I'm just going to tighten it further. And you like break the wood. I have done that many times. You just like super glue it kind of back together. And like, I think IKEA furniture is just like the perfect example of speed is not the priority in building the furniture. If you want good furniture, don't rush it, especially with IKEA. Yeah. It's bold of you to assume that I use the instructions, though. It's funny because you're an experimentation <laughs> person and you build SOPs. You build processes, we follow processes, and then you're just like all out the window when it comes to IKEA furniture. That's exactly what happens. I'm the one that doesn't pay attention to the instructions, and then my spouse is the one that thinks he did and then puts something backwards and then complains in his review that they gave the wrong piece, but it's like, honey, you just put the thing backwards. You know what's funny? That brings up an interesting point that sometimes experimentation is the one blamed for being slow, right? Yes. Sometimes people say like, I'm not going to do experimentation because it's slow. I just want this thing to be built fast and I have to do it. If for some reason I'm a product owner and I have a deadline that's I have to ship this in eight weeks, you have four weeks to build and it's going to take you four weeks. And then you have two weeks to test, analyze, make adjustments and then launch on that eighth week. The dev team takes seven weeks to build it out logically, they're going to say, I literally have no time to test this. I don't think you would want me to run this for four days and then ship. So I'm just not going to test it. So I think that sometimes, unfortunately, you're not building in the opportunity for experimentation to jump in. Yeah. 
But I think on the flip side, so many people make excuses to say it's too slow rather than no, 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 like you just don't want the results to prove you wrong. I've seen a lot of this mindset in the past, especially with product teams where it's kind of baked into their whole way of doing. You got to be fast. You got to ship fast. MVP, get it out there, which is great. That's fine. But they're also going to be the ones who are most eager to end a test quickly and early. That's kind of the behavior that I see. And I think a lot of it does kind of stem from that pressure to build fast and ship fast. Right. And especially it's not just with an experiment design. It is having that lack of patience to see through that experiment long enough to get a representative sample, to see through the ebbs and flows of performance throughout the whole month. I see a lot of that impatience in product teams. I think that might be part of it as well. Yeah, that product owner is down your neck after three hours of launch. Like, all right, we're good, right? Like, we're good. I'm not even fucking joking. Like, seriously, it's like that where it's like, Two days in, oh my God, I love what I see. Let's just end the test now. Yeah. It creates a lot of perverse incentives. Call out to the perverse incentives episode. It's a lot of perverse incentives that you see, at least I see, especially on product teams. It is less of, I don't want to be proven wrong and more of, I just want to be fast, 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 fast. Right. So we've now understood that experimentation by design is a calculated slowing down to validate that something you're doing is in the right direction and not in the wrong direction. It's mitigating risk, making good decisions, et cetera, right? When I'm thinking of experimentation is slow, me as an experimentation strategist, sometimes I wonder, is experimentation slow or am I slow? No comment. How can I <laughs> slow in um, execution? <laughs> uh, how do I know if it's me or if it's experimentation? I think I worry about that a lot. Sometimes I spend a lot of time in the research phase and less time in the testing phase. How do you know when that's actually an issue or not? So there's some good self-reflection that us as CRO people need to have that if some product owner comes to you and says, I have an eight-week roadmap to launch this feature, I will guarantee that in four weeks I could build this out to be able to run the test, help me run the test for those two to three weeks, and then assuming no big issues will launch on that eighth week. And then you as the CRO, you're like, no, sorry, I don't think I could do it. I don't, I'm busy, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what that voice is, but it is what it is. <laughs> that, that sounds exactly like me. Oh my God, how'd you do that? <laughs> that's, that's the slow Tracy, quote, unquote. We have to reflect that sometimes we are the bottleneck. We are actively slowing things down to a detriment if we aren't enabling ourselves to support product teams properly. If there are reasonable expectations along the way, they're giving you plenty of buffer time. You can do it and you're kind of being just a butt or you're saying it's not a priority, blah, blah, blah. Like reflect that you might be the problem. The butt specifically. You're the, the butt. butt. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> However, on the flip side, there are opportunities for experimentation to be faster and help make good decisions all along the way. Mm -hmm. I think the first thing that's the most important, easiest thing to think about is good is the enemy of great. Yes. Interestingly, that was kind of something we were struggling with early on the podcast is do we go for fast or do we go for quality? And I think that's true with experiments as a whole, but also shipping features, testing with designs, sometimes the best pixel perfect version is going to take you two weeks. Yeah. The good enough version will take four days. 
I definitely noticed a lot of these holdups happen in design where one little thing that's totally inconsequential, totally unnoticeable to the end user would not give a shit about. We spend days discussing what to do about this one thing. And it's so unimportant in all of the time that we were discussing this color, this shade, this outline. Dude, we could have been getting results right now. This could have been live. We could have been learning from this. We could have ended this test by now. Why are we still fucking talking about this? Validation over perfection. This is the test. It might not go live. Like it might bomb. It might be flat. There's no point in getting this perfect when it may not see the light of day after this test. You know, it's funny. You could argue that's not experimentation's fault. Oh, it's not. That's stakeholder management. By definition, stakeholder management. But what stakeholder? Is it the hippo who's like, looking at the whole design, doesn't understand the hypothesis, and is like, I don't like that font shape. It's too circly. Let's make it round. It's like, no, no, no. All right, well, if that's hippo, fine. But on the same side, it might be on the design team being so akin to like, this has to be go live ready. That's a thought that we could have as experimentation people to say, it doesn't have to be go live ready. Yeah. Because it just needs us to know if it's good enough to build the go live ready version. Or to test the go live ready version. We go run another test. But I don't want you spending 70 hours designing the... This egregious example, I know. I'm very fond of them. But 70 hours of like a pixel perfect design versus 20. And you ship the 20 and you say, all right, the whole concept doesn't work. It doesn't matter that the font size was just a little too big. The concept didn't work. Like, sorry. I actually noticed it's not design teams that hold up test designs. They understand. They get it, especially the UX design teams. Oh, I have not been. I have been where UX teams have actively held up stuff before. For me, it's been more so the creative director or the director of brand is trying to like justify their role in the project and just loves to hear themselves fucking talk. Right. They're just totally missing the whole point. Why are we making this anyway? Conversations. That's where I usually notice it happen, but it sounds like you notice it a bit more at the team level. That's a good transition to the next piece around process things you could do to speed up experimentation. If a creative director is focused on not the hypothesis, there might be a process breakdown that you as a CRO person are not talking to that person about the hypothesis. If they're not aware of the hypothesis, they might be fixated on little, little things and say, I don't like this. I don't like this. It's like, no, no, no. This is the one thing I need you to focus on. Also, to be entirely fair, sometimes creative people will understand the hypothesis and still be picky. Humans are not rational people. Like, it's unfortunate. Sometimes it's worth conceding. If it's really a difference of, okay, the stroke needs to be two pixels instead of one pixel. I'm like, okay, fine. Great. As long as the hypothesis is still being tested properly. Yes, totally. You know, I mentioned a few minutes ago, I spend a lot of time in research because first of all, that's where the fun is. That's where <laughs> I, that's where I have the most fun. And so I want to stay in there as long as possible. But research takes a long ass time. For example, when I start a program, first thing I do, heuristic audit. I'm going to immediately wrap that up. It's an easy, quick research source to do. It's inferior, but it's a good start. Immediately test something out of that to get the ball rolling, get the momentum going. Yeah. While that test is being built and it's live, in parallel, parallelism, we're getting like 
cool with fancy words. In parallel, I'm doing that next better source of research, something like the web analytics audit, customer survey, just making sure that anytime you're building or monitoring a result, you're doing the research in the background, you're doing things in parallel. You're not waiting till one thing is done before starting the other. That is a mistake I made very early in my CRO career and something that I'm a lot better at doing now. I think it's a good way to remove that perception of experimentation being slow and also having people be interested and bought in to research. Yeah, it's the body of work of testing and research. Maybe your testing is slow, but if you're doing research, it's a whole ecosystem of learning that something's happening along the way. Yes. If you have three tests running and you're conducting three forms of research and then one test ends and you have four forms of research, as long as the ecosystem of learning and that machine continues to work, you're still in a great spot. Yeah. And how are you turning that research into value for the client or for your team? Are you using that time and all those insights to say, hey, we learned this. Why don't you try applying this on your uh, email drip campaigns or to your pop-up offer? Just being able to give that steady stream of value and speaking of value, in that time, you can also be doing investigation into bugs and saying, hey, do you guys know that your freaking cart is broken as fuck on this one very popular device? Hey, fix that. It's not a test, but you're still giving a value the whole time. It kind of removes that perception of being slow or at least says, yeah, it's slow, but I don't care because I'm still getting a lot out of it. Yeah, maybe the perception of slow is I'm not seeing value right now. Yes. Oh, it took us how many minutes to get to that? I think that's a really good call out. They are waiting three, four weeks for value. And instead, like sometimes the research gets you that value quicker. So maybe that's a takeaway, right? Like focus on the value things that you've learned sooner rather than later. And that's where maybe they'll ease off on the it's slow if they're getting that value in some mechanism early. Yes. And it's also educating on what we're doing here is not just running A-B tests. That's one tool in our toolkit. You have research, you have other optimizations, you can fix your site speed, you can fix bugs. Well, you're not testing bugs? Oh, I I would never do that, Shiva. What? Plug the previous episode? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very controversial uh, dance. Apparently. <laughs> apparently, apparently. <laughs> So we brought up some really good points on how to speed up experimentation, right? We to toot our horn, Shiva. We brought up a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So around process, parallelism, trying to do as much as you can concurrently. That's a big word. I'd say also think about planning your iterations ahead of time because devs, if they understand what are the next things you want to test, they might be able to build it while the patient's open. Well, wait, did you say while the patient's open? Yeah. Like surgically? Have you never heard this before? No. <laughs> I kind of love that. I'm going to steal that. Sorry. I just interrupted that line of thought. I thought that was um, gory and interesting. No, it's <laughs> a real thing. Like, okay, while you are developing something, add extra pieces. Like, yeah. while the patient's open and you're fixing uh, tonsillitis, might as well take out the wisdom. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything doctor. I don't know if that would make sense. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We don't don't take medical advice from us. We are not doctors. Yeah, are you like a failed doctor? Let's not talk about it. We'll move on to the next thing. <laughs> so yeah, I think we've come up with some pretty good ideas on how to speed up experimentation. A couple other things I'll quickly say. Sometimes non-inferiority testing is a good way to help with shipping features. If you don't need it to win, you just need the product team to validate it's not going to suck. 
i.e. non-inferior, i.e. it just doesn't have to be terrible. The threshold just not bad because word hard and why use lot word when few word do trick apparently. <laughs> not inferiority <laughs> testing is a great way to half the time of running a test and still make a decision quickly. Yeah, I think those are some very good opportunities for you to recognize that people might say experimentation slow. It is slow for a very, very good reason, and it's helping you make better decisions and avoid risky decisions and reduce the risk. Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah, tortoise and the hare, baby. Tortoise and the hare. All right, well, let us quickly transition to the LinkedIn post of the week. All right. So this week, before we get into it, Shiba and I really want to hear uh, about your favorite LinkedIn posts of the week. If you have any sort of submissions that you want to send to us for topics to talk about, a LinkedIn post that you see and you're like, wow, I really want them to talk about this, please send it over. We want to hear it. And the spicier, the better. Doesn't have to be experimentation. It could be digital marketing, too. We love seeing stuff that can be relevant to experimentation people, even if it's not about experimentation. And speaking of which, we have a great post from David Pereira, who is more of a product manager, product owner, content writer. But I find his latest post on eight signs bullshit management is distracting you is super relevant to experimentation. A few things that David talked about that you don't want to see coming from bullshit management, in his words, striving for consensus over the best product option, extensive backlog over focus on goals signing off tickets over empowering teams, pleasing stakeholders over saying no to distractions, kind of related to what we were just talking about with making things pixel perfect instead of just shipping straight to validation. That's a good call out. Can I take a second on that? Yeah. What is their perspective, right? Their perspective is in order to ship this quickly, it has to be pixel perfect. That's their swim lane. And like experimentations are nice to have, but it doesn't have to be. If you can slice it in, great. If not, all right, whatever. But experimentation doesn't follow that same process. It follows build something to test, to then iterate, to perfect, to then ship. Their mindset, if they're not experimentation focused, doesn't help. And that's where they see it as slow. They have a specific perspective. We have a different perspective. I think it's helpful for us as experimentation people to just recognize that not everyone is an experimentation nerd. Sorry. To build on that, something that David said that was really interesting. Your job isn't to please stakeholders. It's to provide value. I always have viewed experimentation as our job is to help everyone. The help in many, if not most cases, is help make good decisions and help avoid bad decisions. That's the value. So how do we get to that ASAP, you know? Totally. But how do we help you make better decisions? Run a test. Like, that's a very easy mechanism to do that. Maybe it's research. Maybe it's test and research. Help me help you. <laughs> that's exactly right. Help yeah. me help you. You could lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? Yeah, totally. Now, the one that I really want to focus on here is explaining failures over learning from them. We talk about this all the time, and maybe we don't want to use the word failure per se, but I see this pretty often where you're presenting results to a client, and sometimes you'll work with a strategist, like a peer, who says, you should just gloss over that negative result and keep it positive and like highlight the positives first. To which I say, why are we skirting around the drop? That's what we're doing this for. We're trying to learn 
what is going to make a certain metric improve, how we're going to meet a client's goal. If we sweep the negative under the rug, we're not actually doing them that service of telling them what's working and what's not working. We're not in the business, again, of pleasing stakeholders. It's certainly a part of it, but that's not our job. Our job is to drive value. And if I'm not telling you it's not working, that's Half the story I'm not telling you. And shady. If you're part of a culture where you can talk about failure, you should talk about the learning. Be okay saying this didn't win. Failures aren't fatal, but failing to learn is. It's okay to lose as long as you've learned along the way. If you just threw thousands of dollars into a paid search campaign and you're like, ah, shit, we didn't win. We didn't make any money. Most businesses would be like, oh, well, what are you going to do about it? Uh, I don't know. Put money in this campaign. Like, no, like you have to have something for it. When a stakeholder says, what are you going to do about it? I choose to not hear it as, well, uh, ma'am, I'll fix it for you. Uh, don't worry about it. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. It's like, no, what I should be responding with is, all right, we're going to learn why. Actually, can I push you on? I want to push you on this. You should have that answer before you even get to the meeting. No, no, no. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So if you're not going into that meeting already, like having done that analysis up front, then yeah, that, that's kind of a, a fuck up on your end. And you're not promoting healthy failure. But you have to be able to say, this is my read of what went wrong here. And let's put that to the test. Having that next step already lined up. Otherwise, yeah, you're just losing valuable information and not really creating confidence in your process and trust in your process. I think this is also a pretty interesting callback to the previous part of the episode around experimentation being slow so many times like we talked about people don't want to run experiments because they don't want invalidation of the thing that they built yeah so they'll say oh no no it's it's slow like yeah we can't do it it's just we're just gonna ship like yeah i know it's good mba but like we're going in on voices today i don't know why but yeah <laughs> yeah so David brought up a lot of good points here. I think they are relevant to product teams, but a lot of these are transferable to the challenges you see in an experimentation program. Totally. The sign that bullshit management added again, distracting you from doing your friggin' job. So just, I don't know, get through it the best you can, my friend, because it's kind of the hardest part of this job is the politicking. We should definitely do an episode around the parallels between product owners and experimentation people. I'm following more and more product people and all of the stuff they're talking about is what we talk about. It's the same stuff. It's just through the lens of like ship feature yes. versus like ship test. But yes. it's the same things. Yes. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. If you guys want to see an episode about product versus experimentation and where does one sit into the other, yeah. let us know. All right, y'all, well, that does it for another episode of From A to B. Thank you guys for tuning in, listening. We appreciate all the support and love you guys have been giving us. We want to turn strangers to homies. So if you guys are coming to CXL, come say hi. Tracy probably won't bite you. I'll give her some treats to calm her down and Thank we'll be you. good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Please do us a huge favor and like, subscribe, follow, share, all the social things. We really do appreciate y'all. Yeah. Thank you so much. Don't forget the code word is Shiva is a Rizga. It's Rizzy. It's Rizzy.